All right, I'm Brian Robinson. I oversee family ministries here at the church. I'm excited to be here this morning. I'm, I'm talking today, we've been talking about identity the past two weeks. We have two more weeks on this idea of identity. And my slant today is a little bit different on identity. It's going um, to be a little different. I, I think that we often overlook something that's very key in how we discover who we truly are in the Lord. And sort of the premise of today, if you want to put it up there, Kevin, is that our identity is truly only known in the experience of authentic community. Our identity is truly only known through authentic community. So in other words, all of us have a part of ourselves that we don't see. We, we, see, the, we see things in ourselves, strengths, weaknesses, we see, we see ourselves, but there's also a part of us that we do not see, sort of a blind side or a dark side. Not necessarily all bad things. It could be good things, too, we don't see. But we, we, there's a part of us we don't see. And so as we're growing in the Lord... We have to be in a, in a community of people that can speak into those places that we don't see so that they can speak truth to us and speak love to us and speak grace to us so that we are aware of this, this blind side, this dark side. It affects how we make decisions. It affects how we relate to people. It affects how we see the Lord. That all of us have a part of us that we don't um, fully understand. The way we react to something maybe out of fear or maybe the, way, the way we love our our spouse, or the way we discipline our kids. There are always things affecting how we make decisions, how we see the Lord, how we see ourselves, how we see relationships, and it's sometimes not known. So if we have people in our lives that we trust, they speak into that place, that, that blind side or that dark side. They speak into that. But what's, requ- what's required for this to happen is the second idea, and this is really the talk- topic today, is for that to happen, authentic community is only experienced through humility. In other words, we can't have true, authentic relationships with people if we cannot reveal and be humble about who we really are. And that's risky. That's risky, isn't it? There's risk. We're talking about today, like some people feel, feel, feel uh, afraid of God or afraid in God's presence. But there is the invitation that Jesus has that we would come into fellowship with him without shame, but also fellowship with others and not and not have a fear of rejection or a fear of failure or a fear of revealing these things from our dark side. Jesus was the humble king. And he is the example of humility. You know, humility is not self-deprecation. It's not saying, oh, I'm such a loser. I'm such a worm. I'm so undeserving. I'm so unworthy. It's not self-deprecation and sort of this, I don't know, puritanical idea of, of, of hatred of self. Puritan, um, um, humility is moving in the opposite spirit of pride. Pride is self-independence, self-governance. It's looking out for yourself. It's leading out of your own strength. It's making decisions out of your own abilities. And that's an American sort of value, really. We're an individualistic, independent people. We're not a communal, dependent people. We're independent. We value individualism. We value sort of rebelliousness because it asserts your, your freedom, supposedly. So this idea of, of, of having a, a value of humility is very, is very foreign. To truly let someone in, to truly let someone know a part of us that we're maybe ashamed of or that we're weak in. So it happens through, it happens through, through Jesus, right? Like We look at him, we spend time with him, and as we behold him, we become more like him. That's, that's, a, that's the thing we always say. Beholding leads to becoming. 
Beholding leads to becoming. You spend time with Jesus, you become more like Jesus. So you don't wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to be humble. You wake up in the morning and say, today I want to spend time with Jesus. And he'll give me chances to choose humility. Humility is a choice, really. It's not a spiritual gift. (laughs) It's not. It's not one of the gifts of the Spirit. It's not like prophecy or teaching or hospitality. It's not listed. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. It's not love, joy, peace, patience. It's not there. It's not there. It's a choice of the human will to go low, to choose to be humble. It's a choice of the human will, empowered by the Spirit, of course, working in us. But it's a choice of the human will, the human free will, to choose not to get back at my boss for saying that about me, to choose to forgive when someone doesn't deserve forgiveness, to choose to not react in anger, to choose to serve when you deserve to be served. It affects so many things. Humility is such a, such a huge thing. How we pray. I mean, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, James 4, 6. He opposes the proud. Like, he doesn't, he's not just indifferent about it. He, he opposes the proud. Like, that's, that's shocking. You know, I, I heard a story years ago of a mission trip, you know, in, in, in Central America, and this well-known leader was down there. This, this, this pastor brought a huge team of people and he had a big crusade that first night, and he prayed for this woman to be healed. And she came down front, and he prayed this eloquent, big, big-time prayer, and nothing happened. And then this, this little lady that was there for, for 40 years as a missionary came over, off to the side, quietly prayed for this woman, and she was healed instantaneously. And the point was, she had a brokenness in humility. And that's powerful in the eyes of God. There is power in humility, there's power in brokenness and contrition. If we want, you know, if we want more power, it begins with a desperation for Him. I'm not saying this morning that if you, if you don't have answered prayers or healing doesn't happen, that you're proud. I'm not saying that. I am saying there's power in humility, though. I am saying there is real power in humility, and Jesus exemplified this. Jesus, the eternal King, Jesus, the the King of Kings. The, the eternal Son, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, living in all of eternity with God, becomes a man. He humbles himself, becomes a man, born in a manger. We know the story. He grows up, becomes friends with these 12 weirdos, disciples. He humbles himself, teaches them, spends time with them. They're, they don't get it. The Pharisees ridicule him. The Pharisees reject him. His own relatives reject him. Over and over again, he humbles himself, humbles himself. He washes their feet before he goes to the cross. Humility is only manifested in the choices that we have, the experience that God puts in front of you to say, will you humble yourself? And so Jesus had to experience those things. Uh, This may be a little bit, I'm not sure if this is even correct theologically, but I'm going to say it. I've never read this, but I feel like prior to Jesus becoming a man, he had never had to humble himself in the sense that he had to go and lower himself to his own creation. The eternal Son of God never had to do that. Even though he was, he was humble, he never humbled himself. And that night before he died, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane crying out to God with his disciples falling asleep next to him. And he says, Lord, if there's, if there's any other way for this to happen, let this, let this experience, let this cup pass from me. And there's probably this long pause. Who knows how long that pause is? But not my will, but yours be done but not my will, but yours be done. How long is that pause? When he, when he actually has a thought that may be contrary to what the will of God is, he actually has a thought, a feeling of like, I don't really want to die. My humanity doesn't really want to die. I don't want to take the sin of billions and billions of people 
on my shoulders, but not my will follow, but yours be done. That is humility of the utmost degree. Like it is, the, it is, it is beyond our comprehension. So Paul writes the Philippians and he talks about this idea of how we relate to each other in, in looking like Jesus. He says this about Jesus. This is an amazing passage. Philippians 2.5. We've probably read it before. I'm going to run through it again. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. That word is identity. Have the same identity as Christ, who being in the very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death. That was his ultimate calling, is humility, humiliation. Death on a cross was the most humiliating way anyone could ever die. It would be shocking for a Gentile of the first century to think that the King of Kings, the Son of God, the Divine Lord, became a man and died on a cross. One of the very first pictures I've ever found of Jesus was, was, a, was a, a, a mocking of Jesus. It was like a cartoon on the wall of a cave. And there was a man bowing down before the cross. And it said, Alexamenos Sabate Theos. Alexander worships God. And on the cross, there's a man on the cross, and the head is the head of a donkey. Because it was so foolish in the mind of a Gentile that the king of kings would die on a cross. It was the ultimate humiliation. That's the model we have as our king. A humble king. A humble king that, that lets go of his divineness in a sense. The rights of his divineness. Not his divineness in general. But the, the rights he had as, a, as the divine lord to come and to serve us. And as we spend time with him, we become more humble, right? As we spend time with him, we look more like him. We have the choices to look more like him. He'll put situations in your life that you can choose to humble yourself, to look more like him. But we don't have to do it. We don't have to do it. This is, this is huge. For, for, for things like decision-making, I feel like this is, this, is a, this is so relevant. Because how we make decisions, do we make decisions in our lives? Do we make decisions just by simply praying about something, maybe asking our spouse, and then doing it? Or do we, do we, do we seek the counsel of others that God's put in our, our lives, in community? Because that takes, that takes humility. When I was uh, in Virginia with my wife, we, uh, she was the youth pastor up there, and I was volunteering with her. And in Virginia, we knew these tons of families over the years. Amazing, amazing families. They would and they came into our church. They were usually employed by the government in Northern Virginia. And, and there's a huge value of work in Virginia. If you know the D.C. metro area, people work 60, 70 hours a week. They drive two hours and commuting one way. It's unbelievable. And they would just, you know, the dad or the mom would be offered a promotion for $5,000 more a year, $10,000 more a year, whatever, and they're up and gone. Just boom, gone. Rip the kids out of youth group, put the family out of the church, and just took it. And it made sense, logically, with the mindset of the world. Why would you not? It's your career advancing. It's your, it's your livelihood. But their kid never recovered from the, 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 the missing of the youth group, being pulled out of church. The family never found a church where they moved in wherever it was, Arizona, Utah, wherever it was. And the logic of the, of the decision illustrated the lack of 
humility to seek counsel from others? What if they had sought the counsel of their friends in the city group or the counsel of the pastor or the counsel of more mature believers and, and actually prayed about it and sought them before they made these decisions that drastically affected their lives spiritually? But humility, we're invited into a place of humility so that we are in a, we're, in a, we're, in a, we're in a body, the body of Christ. And oftentimes I think, you know, we think of church like as a, as a, grocery, a grocery store. It's where I go to get fed. And if there's a better one down the street that's got, got a better deal on organic food, I'll go there. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But the reality is we, we think of it sometimes as a grocery store, right? And that's true. We come here to get fed. Or we think of it as like a workout place. I come to, I come to exercise and, and get strong in the Lord. You know, get strong with my, my brother next door and yell, yell the devil. But it's not, it's not either of those truly. It's a family. Like we're a family. Like we are called into the lives of each other. In the family, there's fathers and mothers and grandparents. There's spiritual fathers and mothers. There's children. And we're, we are a family. And so I have something to learn from my brother who's gone before me and has the right to speak into my life. I have something to learn from my sister who's gone before me. I have something to learn, possibly, when, I ha- when I'm faced with the de- decision, when I'm faced with a, with a trial in my life. And I feel like the, the, the time we come to... Those people, you know, the time we go meet with Antley is after the crisis already started, not before it. We often go see the pastor after we've hit rock bottom. We often go see the pastor after the, tr- the trial. We've already made the decision. We've messed up, and now we've... But the best time to go is before the crisis begins. The best time to seek counsel is before the decision's already made. The hardest season of my life... This is, this is going to be a hard story to share, but the hardest season of my life was getting married to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all honesty, we have a crazy story. We have a crazy story. And I've mentioned before in, in, in other talks that I struggled with um, pornography addiction for, for many, many years, from the time of my being a teenager for 20, 20 plus years. And it was a serious, serious thing. And God in his mercy, over and over again, God in his mercy thwarted my plans to get married because I had no right to be married in, in that state that I was in. Because marriage doesn't solve pornography addiction. It really makes it more intense in a lot of ways. Because your wife will not let you objectify her, ultimately, if she loves you. Um, but the reality was, over and over again, God thwarted my plans to get married. And, and I had prayed about it, but I had done it independently. I never sought, never, never sought counsel. So I meet Shannon, and of course I'm thinking, wow, she's amazing. I, I want to date her. I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? And... and and I thought, okay, I, I was close to my pastor in Virginia. I lived with him for a long time. I had a brother that was walking with me, and, and I had some other friends that I really respected. So I went to all of them. I said, I'm going to go. To, there, were, there were four of them. My pastor, my, my friend, another pastor, and then her dad. And I said, I'm, I think I'm ready to date Shannon. And they said, you're not. <laughs> they said, you're not even close. All of them, four out of four, said, you, you have no idea how serious, seriously not ready you are. And I was like, gosh, that sounds bad. I was like, what about, I mean, she's, she's so healthy, can't her ultra-healthiness compensate for my little unhealthiness? <laughs> it didn't work that way. It didn't work that way. Still doesn't. Still doesn't. Um, and they said, no, you're not ready, Brian. And so I had a choice in that moment, in that season, to, to here's, here's a scary word, to submit. To submit to people over me, people next to me, not over me, but next to me and over me, that I trusted. And they had earned the right to tell me that. I'd, I'd lived with them. I'd, they had prayed for me. They had pastored me. They had been my friends. And I asked them all, I said, 
What do you think? Wouldn't it have been so arrogant to say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong? Because in my heart, I thought, vertically, I'm spending time with the Lord, and it felt, it felt fine. It felt good <laughs> to want to teach in, and it felt okay. Because there's a blind side, a dark side I couldn't see. And they said, you, you're, not, you're not even close. One of the pastors said, <laughs> this is terrible. He said, he said, because um, he'd, he'd walk through it himself. He'd walk through addiction recovery himself. And he said, statistically, Brian, you have a one out of ten chance of getting out of this. <laughs> he said, you've, got, you've gone so far down this road, you have a one out of ten chance of getting out of this. I said, one out of ten? He goes, no, no, I'm sorry. That's just statistically, but I give you one in four. And I was like, one in four? That's, so 90% failure one way or 75% failure the other way. It's like they're not much different. But it, it sobered me up to realize, man, this is, this is serious. And so that process, that crazy process of them saying no, lasted four years. Four years. Over and over again, I would go back and say, I'm doing this. I feel like this. They'd say, not ready. We love you, man. We're not against you, Mary and Shannon. We're not, being, we're not trying to keep you away from damaged goods or something. We love you. And the greatest goal in this process is not you getting married. The greatest goal in this process is you getting free and you finding that Jesus is all you need and maybe all you want. So I had to leave. I had to leave town for six months and go to England. And I, did, I served in a ministry for drug addicts, a Christian ministry with drug addicts, to get away, to truly, to truly humble myself and not try to control things. And it was a crazy season, but it got, I got to a place, not a perfect place, but I got to a place where where Jesus met me in my brokenness. Jesus met me in my failure. Jesus met me in my addictedness. Jesus met me in my lostness. And he filled me up with his great joy, with his great power. And that satisfies the heart more than marriage. It satisfies the heart more than a relationship. So the the story, even though it has a happy ending, it, it doesn't matter what the ending was in a lot of ways. The ending is God set me free. He can set you free. God wants hearts that are free, full of him, so you can love someone else out of fullness, not brokenness. You can love someone else out of not your empty neediness, but out of a place of health and wholeness. And this isn't supposed to be a talk of like correction or condemnation. It's an, it's an invitation. It's an invitation into your own suffering to truly find your identity in the Lord by being aware of the dark side and letting others into your life. Because God has put people in your lives. And if, if there really isn't a person in your life, I would just challenge you, like, come talk to me. Come talk to Antley. Like, like, we want those kind of friendships to exist in our church, city groups, that you, before you make decisions, before you make huge life-changing things, I'm going to get married, I'm going to get divorced, I'm going to take a new job, I'm gonna, whatever it may be, that before you do those things, that we would seek, seek prayer and counsel from brothers and sisters. There are amazing men and women of faith in this church. There really are. And a lot of them would love to pray with you, talk with you. And, and, and honestly, they've earned the right to speak into our lives. They've, they've walked the road. And, and God invites us into that place of transparency. It's not easy. Some of us, I feel like, I know some of you have been burned. I know you've been burned by this idea of, of people over you speaking something, telling you something, and you were burned. But I feel like, the, here, here's what the Lord wants you to know. This is, this is so important, you guys. It doesn't matter if they were wrong. It wouldn't have mattered if those four men over me were wrong. It matters that my heart was right. Because when we submit, when we give in, give in, that's not the good word, when we, when we go along with their counsel, 
We are going along with what we think God is telling us. And that way, the Lord is saying, your heart is right, even if they're wrong. Your heart of submission, your heart of humility, your heart of brokenness pleases me. They may have missed it. They may have used you. They may have, yeah, they may have used you for their own gain, for their own advantages. They may have have manipulated you. But your heart of submission was right. Your heart of humility was right. Paul shows um, a picture of the church in Ephesians 5. He's talking to Ephesians, early Christians, and he says this. Here's where it starts. Instead, he says, be filled with the Spirit. That's where it starts. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There it is. Submit to one another. Like the idea is, out of reverence for him, you would go low and love others. You would go low out of reverence for him. Let me finish the Philippians 2. I feel like I missed that real quick. Verse 8 says, Being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, here it is, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the ending. Jesus, through his humility, Jesus, through his demonstration, of going the lowest a human could ever go is now exalted to where every knee will bow before him. Every single living thing, every angel, every demon, every rebellious heart, every believer will bow before the name of Jesus Christ on that great day. There is not one entity in the world, in the universe, that will not bow before the King of Kings, willfully or against their will. They're going to bow because he's earned the right. He's earned the right. And we exalt him today. We, he's earned the right of our obedience to become humble like him. He's earned the right to speak into your life and say, suffer like I did, humble yourself like I did, forgive like I did, go low like I did. As we look at him, we'll become more like him. And he'll put situations in our lives where we, we can choose humility. John Flavel, the old uh, English pastor, said, those that truly know God will become humble, and those that truly know themselves cannot remain proud. So this morning, I would just, I would just ask you, like, is there someone in your life that you trust that can speak into you and cross your will and say, I, I love you, man, but this is, I don't think this is the Lord's will for you. Is there that person or those people? And if there's not, like, how, how's that going to happen? How do you make decisions? How do you make the big decisions? How do you face the blind side, the dark side, in everyday life? I would encourage you to read that Philippians 2 this week. I would just say to meditate and pray on that. Just read it, put some music on, and just read about the humility of Jesus. But this is a hard talk. And I don't want this to come across as like a condemning thing. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. It really is. I, I, I mean, I want you to hear that. This is not like, submit! <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. It's an invitation to humility. 
and to Christ-likeness, and ultimately, freedom. It's an invitation to freedom. It's countercultural. it's counterintuitive, isn't it? Like, you become great by becoming weak. God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong, the foolish things to shame the wise. Where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wise and the strong? He chooses the broken and contrite. Oh man, that's so hard. It's so hard. I'm proud, I'm arrogant, I'm self-governing, self-centered. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let's stand. Let's just be quiet and and ask the Lord to speak by His Spirit. So, yeah, let's just be quiet. Father, would you come and speak Holy Spirit right now? We love you. We need you. I just pray hope would arise right now, Lord. I pray real hope would arise, hope in Jesus, for those who have seen the dark side of their lives and their choices, for those who've made decisions from brokenness, I ask that hope would arise. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray you would this week I pray, Lord, this week you would just show us how much you love us, Lord. That this invitation into suffering or into humility is an invitation into knowing more of your love. Oh God, I pray that we could look at the slain Lamb of God and that we would realize how easy it is to enter in your love. That you hold nothing back from us. You paid the price, God. You paid it. You defeated sin. You made a spectacle of Satan on the cross. You disarmed the principalities and powers and you triumphed over them by dying. And you rose from the dead to prove it, Lord. Would you, Lord, speak this morning to whatever we need this morning, whether it's a blind side issue, a dark side issue, a brokenness, or just a desire to know more of you. Thank you, Lord, that we are a family. Come Holy Spirit.